to NBC. The Slaw. A new show where contestants have to make a new coleslaw out of anything they can. Featuring contestants from The Voice. Watch them make slaw using just their voice. Hey there. Dude, Mada Creamy Cabbage. And The Bachelor. Whoever loses has to make slaw for everyone. All the losers. I thought The Bachelor was on ABC. NBC Slaw. Because we're totally out of ideas at this point, and Carson Daly needs something to do. This is ABC. Modern equipment speeds up the work is very suitable for high yields of good quality. Blocky sets are preferable to wedge-shaped sets as they will not dry out so quickly. They are cut so as to be blocky in form to ensure sufficient food supplies. Move it to the left. Just a little bit. Yes, Mrs. Harley. Well, what, what I said was move it to the left, just a little bit. Yes, ma'am. Alright. How's that? Jonas, I just don't... I don't think that I am a good fit as a flower arranger. Well, these are potatoes. Potatoes have some of the prettiest flowers I've ever seen. Just give them a few days. Oh, Bloom. Do you, you want to wait? Mm. Do you ever think about, in your flower arranging business, mm. using flowers? Actual flowers? Well, you know, you, you know, Bishop, I did. I did, and I did experiment with flowers. Uh-huh. Um, and, I, you know, I just felt that uh, people... You couldn't, you couldn't shock them. There wasn't any way to give them the unexpected. They walk into a flower shop and then there are flowers. That's just not. That sounds like a transaction between two people that sounds extremely even and exactly what I want. But I don't, I want to strike shock and interest and awe. Is that why you got rid of all the flowers and mm -hmm. put in vegetables? Yes. Yes, this is exactly Bertrand. I'm so happy that I pay you minimum wage. Below to, to minimum wage? No, but it's below the table. But oh. it's technically minimum wage. And now I can make that back with commission. But yet no one buys anything.
What I've Been Saying from the Start by Lumber Breen. You can check them out on Bandcamp. I'm here at Popeye's Chicken, and there's no line. So the lines have ended, but it was crazy, wasn't it? It was. It was indeed, sir. What is this radio for? Well, you looked tired last time I saw you. Oh, yeah. I was dying. I was dying last time, but, you know, we're up and running now. So so, so when when did the lines die? Because I, I saw it was pretty bad like a week or two ago. Yeah, so it, they've been calming down for the past two days. But okay. um, but now we're starting to get a little rush that's coming back. So, um, you know, whoever wants to swing by Foothill Popeyes, come by. The lines are, sh- are a little bit shorter, so well, less wait time. Do you eat the sandwiches? I do. Oh, <laughs> I do eat the sandwich. Okay. But, you know, I don't have too much of it. So, uh, but it's good. So, definitely have to come by and try it. Do any weird sailors come in, like, with one eye? What is this radio form? Five minutes past 12 midnight. I know it's tuna, but it, it says chicken by the sea. The modern way of harvesting potatoes okay. with a two row harvester semi mounted on the adaptable Nuffield tuna. Tuna from Tunaville. Press the chicken tuna. Solid pack, or chunk size. Right, Don't make fun of me right now, I'm not in the mood. From Sacramento, the heart of California and around the world, Genuine Modern Radio. Radio Flom. Oh, 
selling awesome food? Um, this was the available place. <laughs> this was the available place, but actually, I came to this place in 2005 when it was located in the back at Subtle Imaging, but it had too much renovation. So as time went on, I came back because I experienced a lumbar back injury and a fractured ankle, and my doctor is located here, and they had a prior owner, and one day I came and it wasn't open. So I was wondering what happened to it, and they say they're closed. So I inquired about it. I spoke to the owner for like six months in a conversation, did the background check and everything. And bazam, I'm here. Making my delicious beignet donuts, my muffaladas, my quesadillas, all that good stuff, po' boy sandwiches. So you gotta come check me out. It's some of the best food outside of the South. Exactly. How, how, how did you learn this? I mean, even your quesadillas are comparable to some of the little Mexican shacks around. Well, I put my special sauce in there. Yeah. And I cook with love. 
okay. I cook with love. Oh. You gotta love what you're doing. Yeah. So I cook with love and I put my little special sauce, my secret recipe onto everything that I do. So that make the people say, that tastes good. And you're on DoorDash now. Yeah, I'm on DoorDash. I got four stars out of five on DoorDash. So I guess, I guess that's pretty good considering our area. Yeah, so if you're not going for a doctor's appointment, if you're not going for the doctor's appointment, you got you, you got to, you can go on DoorDash and find us on DoorDash beignets. And it's sort of the Citrus Heights. Citrus uh, Heights, Carmichael. It's down the street from San Juan Hospital. We are having our awesome beignets and po' boy sandwiches festival, November twenty third, two thousand nineteen at the grounds. It used to be called the Plaza County Fairgrounds, but they changed it to at the grounds. It's gonna be going on. It's gonna be from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. So go online to get your tickets at www.queensofrica.usa.org. Or you can email me or text me at 916-576-9679. That's 916 Five seven six nine six seven nine, and I'll send you the link so you can go online and see our fabulous menu. Yeah, if you want to be a sponsor, you can go online and you can pay to be a sponsor. But I would like you to um, send me a message at nine one six five seven six nine six seven nine, and I'll send you all the detailed information to be a sponsor for our awesome event. It's going to help um, kids in the Sacramento area. We're a nonprofit five hundred one c tax deduction. Um, we feed the homeless. We ship boxes nationwide when we can food boxes. Um, we give Christmas events, Christmas toys away. Um, we feel to believe it takes a village to raise our children. We're going to get down with some Zotico, some brass music. We're going to be finger popping and you're going to have some exotic drinks. Now, if you want to get drunk, you got to buy your drinks ahead of time. So see us on November 23rd at the Beignets Po' Boys Sandwich Festival 2019. Big baby! Alrighty. Alrighty. And this is my favorite customer. He always comes in and get a muffin lot of sandwich. Beignets and Poor Boy Sandwiches Festival 2019. Saturday, November 23rd. At the grounds in Roseville, California, east of Sacramento. Details at queensofafricausa.org or at facebook.com slash beignetdonuts. Radio Flom, an art movement's journey into a space down the hall. No, I grew up in I grew up in Woodland. Uh, our announcer has a house there. Bauhaus without the house. What do you think of the color pink at this point? Do we need more pink hats? Yeah, right. I don't know. I mean, it it stands out. It's it's there. It's bold it's i mean i get it i get i mean there was even pushback from sort of like tiny bit of pushback from the women's yeah. march thing you know like you pair it with like a, a dark blue and why not like it said something everybody yeah. recognized it it's a recognized now 
So maybe, maybe we need I more. Think, I think it was. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I was relating it uh, to Pussy Riot originally. Um, yeah. In fact, I should look up where it came. Mm-hmm. Everything just kind of exploded from there on. History is listening. Radio Flum Steve Mahalo talks with graphic designer, illustrator, author, flumist Nicole Larue. Okay, I might as well ask you the big question. How'd you get involved in uh, Women's March and ended up designing everything? Because it was oh. just really cool to see all your stuff just everywhere. It, it, it has been. Yeah, it's kind of been. I mean, it was a bit, you know, not accidental. That's kind of weird to say. Um, I went to school with a woman named Amy Stellhorn, and she she and I were, like, kind of not rivals, but but like we admired each other like crazy. Like she was like big idea, like really clever, really smart. And I was like the doer and I could, I I get shit done and, and I can make it. And, and I love that part of it. And she is the CEO of Big Monocle. It used to be in San Francisco and they just moved here to Utah, which is good for them. Like they're, they're big enough to just be anywhere. Just as the Women's March was developing, the VP of Intel, Teresa Hurd, had his was kind of involved and said, "Like, look, we need to like brand this. We need to make it recognizable." And she pitched that to the Women's March organizers and said, "I've got some studios who will do this. We'll pitch you a deck of logos, and then we'll go from there. Like, it'll you know, it, and hopefully it'll explode." And she then went to Amy, my my call co- my colleague, who then had some of her designers do a variation for the pitch and then asked me one morning, she's like, hey, on Facebook even, I was like, this is interesting. Cause I mean it's not like I I'm, a, I'm to- like well, I used to be an introvert. I'm not sure I am anymore. I was an introvert a long time ago and then uh, I discovered uh, okay. as as a teacher, yeah. not only is it fun being on stage and doing stand up. Yeah. That's interesting. I love it. It's like energizing me. Yeah, totally. I mean, you kind of need your own quiet time, but, you know, like in between. But. Uh, famous introverts, David Letterman, uh, Howard Stern. That's pretty uh, remarkable, right? <laughs> okay, so she messaged me on Facebook and she said, hey, this is what I've got going on. I need, uh, you know, can I have you volunteer to do this? Can you do this like today? <laughs> you know, and I was like sitting at her. I was like, yeah, today you're super funny. Like, really? Come on. I mean, you know better. And I was like, but, you know, wh- why not? Like, it's not going to turn into anything. Like, I didn't imagine. I thought, okay, I'll help her out. I'll... So I worked on it for the day. I submitted it to her. And three days later, she like calls me from Costco. She's like, holy shit. Like the organizers picked your logo. And I was like, wait, you're not like, you're not like lying to me. You know, like she, we were just so excited and I could have never imagined, right? Like I didn't, not, not at all. And it was so good. And so, I mean, I keep telling people, I think like it changed my trajectory really like. I'm I'm not I'm not at all a patriot like I like yay USA whatever right I'm very global and I love humans like good humans that's that's what I love I don't Mm -hmm. think oh I love my country but but activism is it, it doesn't have to be patriotic either necessarily I think this is kind of like propelled me in a different direction and and it makes me really feel like genuinely good because I think you know before I would describe my work to people and I said you know like I make I make things look good uh, like I said that once in jury duty oh no <laughs> <laughs> they said what do you do 
uh, they looked at me like I was an idiot and they kicked yeah. me out of the room. And then I'm standing in the elevator going, boy, they all treated me like, an, hey, I'm in the elevator. <laughs> you get my point. Something good, something big. I mean, and it didn't obviously have to be this big to propel me, but I'm really grateful that it was. And then my confidence in moving forward in that direction has is like quadrupled, you know? So you've had a company called Small Made Goods for a while. And yeah, quite a while. And uh-huh. I'm, I'm, it came out of the maker movement. And is that how I would categorize it? Or is that a little bit off? Yeah, I think so. No, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. How did that sort of tie into everything? Because I still see you doing things. Yeah, I, I do a bit with it. I mean, that was kind of my freelance thing. And, and I just always want to be doing. It's just not, it's just not in me to stop. Yeah. I, I'll, do, I'll pretty much do anything that someone like believes that I can do. Or, or actually, honestly, who doesn't believe that I can do it? Then I'll do it even better, you know? But like, <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> so... So freelance and and I don't know now it's morphed into now I have a, a full time gig at a publishing company but we're we actually just launched a whole new company in six months called Spumoni and it's just a, just a giant gifting company of just cool stuff that makes people happy and so I think that's where small made goods was like that's what I wanted to be uh-huh. and now I'm an outlet for that. I guess, if that makes sense. And so, I mean, I'm an art director here. Like, that's very loosely said, art director. It's better when it's not a hierarchy. Yes. Yeah. I know. I know. Exactly. I've got a couple of really good designers with me. The chief creative officer and I are like absolutely best friends. and, And she and I have like the best banter and we... She's like big idea. So she's kind of like my my new Amy Stellhorn. She's like... She's like the big idea, and then we 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 get ideas from each other, and then I can go and do it. So it's like the best situation, honestly. And with you know, like kind of stemming from the Women's March stuff, I had two books that I pitched to Gib Smith as they hired me, and now they're coming out in March. And one's called Small and Mighty, and the other is Girl Almighty, and. It's it's all youth activism and it's like good timing and accessible and just fun and just everything good, I guess. So so the the propulsion part that I was talking about, that's I mean, this is it moving forward and that's really exciting. Yeah, and now now we're in a world where we really do have to push back. Yeah. I, I I see what's what's going on in government is to be honest, the last cry of a bunch of conservative people who want the world to be back in the 1950s. And uh, it's it's like, uh, I'm hoping it's like the final battle. A whole new peak that, that there's no, like, you can't. They are going to die out. I, I had... I had a guy on earlier from Croatia and he's like everyone who had maintained the power structure going on in Eastern Europe is either too old mm-hmm. or dead. Oh, I think, I think you're totally right. Right. I mean, if you think of all the youth that it's now pushing into the, the spotlight, yeah. you're right. Like they're, they're just going to push all sorry, but like old white guys out. That's kind of what's going to yeah. happen. I, I like, I, I can't imagine it being any different. I think you're so right. Um, I never got along with old white guys, and I am one. So <laughs> you're on the 
You're on the right side of the old white guys, though. So uh, you mentioned you have something called uh, Food Fight? Yeah, that's a personal project. It's very personal. Um, I haven't in the past talked about it at all. I think, again, since the Women's March thing, I just feel brave and bold and like I need whatever I do to have something good behind it or something that is going to help people. And and I have, um, since I was maybe 15, suffered from an eating disorder. And and now, I mean, I'm healthy and good and stuff, but it doesn't go away. And I'm, I'm yeah. 40. I turned 40 this year. That's a, that's a lifetime of like struggle. And I know everybody has theirs, but I figure, okay, so what does that mean? Like, what can I do with that, that, like two decades of time, which, and it'll continue, I suspect to say, okay, or, or to lessen someone else's struggle, which maybe that's, mm-hmm. that's the role we ought, all ought to be playing. And so I've decided that I, I really, really want, and if, if I could do anything else for the rest of my time is this memoir and it's going to be, it's going to be in the form of a graphic novel, which I think accessible to youth like what youth wants to say you know get some self-help book on on food struggles and eating disorders and things like that and the title is food fight it's going to be like 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 a boxing match because when you're when you're dealing with an eating disorder it's like you who wants to do one thing and and somebody else wants to make you do something else and so my interpretation is is I'm the character in color and so in every, in the, throughout the whole thing, I'm the color. And then they're the same character in black and white. This whole graphic novel will be this. And it will be based on like rounds of boxing matches. And it'll kind of go through, you know, where it started and sort of a, a, my, my childhood and a bit of baggage, like, all, like everybody has and maybe have interviews and just, I, it's, it's something that if I could find the right publisher for it, I would, I would take that and do something with it forever go on a you know a talking tour I don't know I don't know what it looks like what that outcome looks like but I don't I mean I believe in my work like a little but this I have no question about like this is something that I think like it's such a good idea like in my heart like it's a it's a good idea in my heart like it's 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 accessible Mm -hmm. and it will reach the right people because I know you know what I mean? If, I don't know. Is that weird? That's a little weird, but no, I under I understand that. I mean, with the project I'm doing now, uh, it's become long hours, but it feels right, and that's what I. That's why I'm doing it. Yeah, and, yeah. and I've noticed over the years some projects don't feel right. We had a video game; it didn't quite totally feel right, but it was something I had to do, and. Yeah. It, it led that. to what I'm doing now. And yeah. when you work on stuff like that, everything just kind of falls into place. People respond yeah. to it. Yeah. It resonates. Yeah, so that's the food portion for, for you right there. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. we'll use that and we'll do a nice segue if I could think of one. <laughs> so I'm looking at your history and uh, I know you have more to talk about. Do I know? Do I really have more to talk about? Oh, uh, we all do. Um, sure, I do. So you're originally from Woodland here. Mm-hmm. At, Northern California. Yeah, I think yeah. it's actually a really interesting town. Um, there's a there's a nice bookstore there that is still in business. Yeah. Small place. I mean, when I grew up there, it was a very small place and it has exploded and it's so weird. <laughs> 
and like people from my high school still live there. And I'm like, why would you live in Woodland? But it has grown so much. And I mean, it's running into Sacramento, you know, pretty much. It's not its its own tiny little agricultural community anymore. Sacramento's having these sort of growing pains that you see going on Mm -hmm. here. Uh, I'm from the Bay Area, but I I moved here in, well, we, we saw how cheap a house was here. Uh, but the the bank wanted it, so the bank got to take it with most of our stuff still inside. Blah 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 blah. Oh, it's, if you're a pack rat, it's kind of good to lose most of your stuff. <laughs> that was done, done and dusted. <laughs> Until you realize there's important things that went. But it, it was just a, it's one of those things. Once you live through it, uh, you become a stronger person. Blah. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you jaded. I think. Uh, <laughs> Oh, this was fun. I got to tell you this. Uh, there was a guy selling bootleg t-shirts at the Women's March. <laughs> That's hilarious. And, and I actually went up to him and I said, I know the person who did the logo. Did you get permission to use that? And he just sort of walked away from me really fast. Yeah, scary, scary man asking the wrong question. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think I got a photo of him. I'll, I'll see if I can find it. <laughs> Funny. Oh my god. Yeah. Like, oh wow, there's two legs of everything. <laughs> okay, well, we'll just run with that too. You are listening to Radio Flom. Up next, something else. So I broke up with my high school sweetheart over the summer and I listened to this song a lot during the following months. This is the band Ice Cream, all one title with 17.
That is, what is the frequency? What's your band? Don't eat the flum. This is Radio Flum. Let me start it this way. So don't blush too much. Okay. <laughs> Every time I show your 20-year retrospective Modern Dog book, people light up. And, and I remember when you put out your your retrospective of your posters and your campaigns, you said to me, I hope people would buy this. <laughs> and I think it's a collector's item now. Oh, no, you can't. I just got one for $5, like at Salvation Army. Oh, it's been marked now. <laughs> Who, for instance, hasn't played ball with a dog? Mug, we'll go to the bow And so with Mr. Mug, and what could be simpler? Mr. Mug, that dog, the dog would guard that ball with his life. As many as actually wild horses for us to back, but we didn't want to use rather a dog's life. But if you don't find the right owner, things aren't so bad. Mr. Mug, good dog. So in 1997, I did a... You will not find this anywhere on the internet, and you will not find it on my website. You won't find it in our book because it's hidden. But in 1997, I did a poster for a play called True West. It's a Sam Shepard play. In the play, Sam Shepard talks about the Bob's Big Boy, right? So I'm working with the director of the, of the play and I mention, you know, how iconic Bob's Big Boy is. And he goes, hey, that would be an awesome image for a poster. And so, um, went back to my studio, worked with another guy in my office who actually did the illustration, but um, had Bob's Big Boy holding a toaster with a golf club because the, the play takes place on a, a golf course part of it. And it's about sort of like suburbia, like being a, in suburban America, right? So I lived in Southern California. Bob's Big Boy was like iconic in Burbank. Like I, as a little kid, I loved that thing. Um, and so I was super excited, but I had just bought a house. So I got the house, actually the house that we're doing the interview right now, I just bought it 20, 21, 22 years ago. And I got a little nervous. I was like, okay, I'm using the Bob's Big Boy image. Do I need to get permission to use this image? Because I wanted the image to be recognizable, right? I wasn't trying to hide the fact that, you know, I was using Bob's Big Boy image. So I made the mistake, and I will tell you, explain why it was a mistake, but I made the mistake of trying to contact the owner, right? Again, in 1997, the internet was not super powerful or anything. I mean, it was, it was, it existed, but it wasn't what it is today. But I had located them through the internet, and it was some kind. The company has sold like five or six times. It's now owned by somebody in the Midwest. They wrote. I send them an email. I send a copy, and I said, "Hey, you know, I'm in Seattle doing. I'm working with a theater. They love the image. Here's what the poster looks like." Just wanted to make sure you guys were aware of it. They wrote me back. They go, absolutely, do not do this. You know, we will, we will, we will, uh, you know, we will contact our attorneys and, you know, like, and I got, and I freaked. I was like, oh my God, like they don't even have a sense of humor. Like you could just tell, like, they're just like, absolutely not, not do this. So I didn't know what to do because my, I loved it and I loved, and I, and I, you know, the client loved it. And so it, this was sort of my one of my first sort of copyright things. I didn't know if we if it was okay to have done that. So I so I hired a, a very well known firm in Seattle, Davis Wright Tremaine. They looked over. I had like one hour. You know, it was like five hundred dollars an hour or whatever. I had one hour with them, and there were like the three junior you know people that just got their law degree, um, you know, licensing, and they're they're looking at this kind of debating about what we did. And whether or not we were going to get in trouble. And they said, look, you were already protected by parity. 
you, you didn't need to get permission. But I didn't, I, I wasn't fully understanding. So I was like, they go, but now you screwed up and you left a paper trail. Like if this ever got in front of a judge, it, you know, it depends how the judge wants to interpret it. He might look at you as just like, oh, you just, you're, you're pushing, you just are, you know, rebels and you're, and then you need to be put in your place or is the judge going to be, you know, following the law? Like, and I didn't, and they're just telling me like, you don't ever want to be in that position where you're trying, you know, you're defending something that you think is, should be protected. And so they told me to like change it like a little bit. And so I kept changing it, faxing it to them. Is this enough? Is this enough? You know, like instead of the red squares and the Bob big boy overalls, it had blue diamonds instead of his black shoes it had brown he had freckles right so finally we got it changed enough to where it's like it wasn't different enough from what we showed but but it still is bob's big boy like if you saw it today i don't show it like again you can it's scrubbed <laughs> off the internet so anyway i had long forgotten about this thing right and i'm like sitting at home i mean i still didn't have any furniture like two years later i was like barely able to like pay my mortgage right and so i'm sitting i'm sitting in my house on the floor watching tv or whatever my friend calls me up she goes like oh my god she's like turn turn on the television to uh frazier she goes go she goes uh turn on the television go to channel five or whatever and i and i go there and i see in the background the bob's big boy poster like they kept panning they're like in a coffee shop or something right and they just all they did is they came to seattle got a bunch of posters went back to la and put these posters up, right, from Seattle. <laughs> and I'm screaming. I'm like going, oh, my God, stop putting, why is that on TV? And um, yeah. to make a long story short, nothing ever happened, but, like, this thing exists. And I, in my mind, I kept thinking, oh, my God, they're going to, like, call any minute and they're going to sue us <laughs> because, you know, we went ahead with, and we went ahead and did that poster. Modern Dog Design Company was there. They were over there too. Oh look. They're also here. Radio Flom talks to Robin Ray of Modern Dog. The studio behind Soup for Sluts, Dindin Fuck Chow. And many, many posters for really awesome musicians. The thing that, that really kicked in with me was how you would come up with a really radical idea for everyone else. And you probably didn't think it was radical, but you're like, I'm going to do this and it's going to be all marker pens, or I'm going to do this and it's going to be some sort of spray paint. <laughs> and you were just basically, and then they hated this and then they killed this and then they hated this and they killed this <laughs> and it went on and on. And, and, and then something <laughs> happened. And next thing you know, everyone's profiling you going, Oh my God, no one ever thought to do this. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like you had to fight all these battles in order to get uh, work done. That's what I remember. Am, am oh, I off here? Well, yeah. no, I mean, I think there were some clients that were, you know, it, it, you know, it was interesting because in the very beginning, we were pretty scrappy. I mean, we weren't making a lot of money. We were starving. We were just trying to figure out how to exist. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think... My, my goal was to make $800 a month, <laughs> which now I kind of laugh. I could, I could actually live on 600. That was like yeah. my rent, yeah. my rent, my food and everything. And so yeah. if I made 800 bucks, then I was like actually doing really good. Um, 
And I, you know, in the beginning, we just, we did not come from other firms. And so starting at Modern Dog, Mike and I were never business people. Mm-hmm. And we did not go into, um, we didn't start Modern Dog thinking, oh, this is how we're going to make a lot of money, or this is how we're going to, this is a business and we're going to support other people. It just happened. It just happened to be that way, but yeah. it wasn't a goal. And um, I remember Jack Anderson from Hornell Anderson. I, well, the first time I met him, he said something to me. And I remember it kind of like bugged me, but he was totally right. He said something like, uh, you know, he goes, you're, you're an artist um, working as a graphic designer, something to that effect. And he was, and I remember thinking, God, how dare him tell me that? You know, we're business. And then I kind of like, it always stuck in my head. And then I remembered when I think back on that moment when he told me that, and I think he was also talking about this house that he had just built and had a waterfall and all this stuff. And I remember thinking, oh my God, you know, like he's on another, he's in another universe. There's like designers that like are just swimming in money. And then I real, you know, I sort of, now that I've had some time to look back on that moment when he first told me that, um, he was, he was very, he was completely accurate. Um, we were kind of like artists working as designers and it was the best part of modern dog. And it was also sort of a, um, you know, like a, a check mark against us just because we did not, we kind of went into it, not even really understanding how to bid on jobs. I remember we had a lot of people we would call and ask them and Joe Duffy to this day of, of, uh, of uh, Duffy in Minneapolis um, I still contact him occasionally and say, what should I charge for this? <laughs> so, um, you know, just not having that, that, that doesn't, you know, like coming from a big firm, we came right out of college and started up a company. It was kind of a do it. I mean, if anything, that ethos of do it yourself, um, Seattle was kind of like a do it yourself kind of place. We had that ingrained in us and it was, I, I mean, I, it was, a really special time. I think I'm just really happy that nobody did hire me because initially I wanted to work for someone. And I think my work would have completely changed. It would have molded and shaped who I am today. Um, And I'm just, I'm grateful that that did not happen. Um, But it was at times pretty painful. I mean, we also like after a while, Steve, you know, it's like people would started to, I think it was probably, we did, I don't know why we did this, but like in right around 1992, 93, we decided to, to, uh, I mean, we had these, we have Metro buses that, you know, the public transportation and we thought, well, let's just put these big designs about our company and our, just our company name and phone number and just see, cause this is again, before, you know, people had websites and we thought, well, let's just see if anybody calls us. And so we, the way, how we did it, uh, we found out that it was actually pretty cheap to advertise on a bus. It was something like a hundred bucks, you know, for a month and you got to pick your route. Um, but what they were counting on you to do the bus, the uh, public transportation uh, in Seattle, they wanted you to, um, you know, have several buses and then you would use their facilities to print these placards that would go on the bus, but we just made our own and they didn't see it coming. So we called up and got pricing and then when it came time to do to deliver their artwork, we were like, no, 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 we're just gonna like, we're gonna just take big panels and paint directly on them and draw and do everything, you know, big vinyl letters, and we're just gonna do that. And they're and I think they were just so upset because they'd never heard of anyone doing that. 
but we'd already signed the deal that we were going to advertise with them. It's just that we didn't have them print it for us. So we made these one-offs and it was kind of ridiculous. I mean, anytime anybody would spot them, it was like, Oh my God, you know, I saw one of our buses and we, so we did a lot of like weird stuff like that. I, I remember somebody in town, somebody in Seattle who I met years later said, you know, you're that company that advertised on the buses. And I'm, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, that's us. And she goes, that was like so weird. She was like, when I was like sitting, waiting for the bus, like something went by and it said, this is not graphic design. And it had her phone number. <laughs> and it was just like this big graffiti thing, right? And I don't even think, I'm not even sure if it said Modern Dog, but she just heard like, hey, there was this company doing these one-offs on buses. So we just had fun. I mean, yeah. honestly, our whole goal was to laugh and to do as much, have as much fun as possible um, we just did things that made us laugh. Um, and I think after a while people started to, you know, come to the company. I mean, Mike started developing a relationship with blue Q. And I think at one point we had over a hundred products. We still have products, um, that are being sold through blue Q, but it was really Mike's sense of humor. And then just the fact that we didn't really know what we were doing <laughs> that kind of made us stand out. I mean, I don't think it was ever like, a goal for us to be, you know, I never, I've never to this day. And I, I tell my students this all the time. I don't pressure anybody to be original because I don't believe that that should be a goal. I mean, it was never a goal of mine to be like, you know, to be creating original work. Everything I do is derivative. Everything I look in and I assimilate and I regurgitate it and, uh, that's just what design is. I mean, I've never yeah. had a client come up to me and say, can you be original? But I have a lot of, you know, I hear it in academia, um, this pressure for students to be innovative and to be original, and it just doesn't really exist. Yeah. And I think that that just takes a lot of pressure off yeah. when you don't have that pressure where you're just, I mean, it gets me, you know, it's like now with the internet, anything I design, I'm, I'll Google it and like see like I put a fish inside of a plastic bottle yeah. And I thought, oh, that's such a cool, I'm going to put all these sea creatures. And it was like sort of a statement about, you know, what we're doing to our oceans and our lakes and our, you know, our water systems. And then I, as soon as I Googled it, it was like, I realized that is not an original idea. <laughs> and I was so bummed out, but I, um, I do, I will check, you know, just to make sure that I'm not doing anything that's like so close to somebody else's idea. But it's also like really annoying too. Sometimes I wish I didn't have that power there's a book i got years ago um actually marked down it's called genius moves stephen heller mm -hmm. and uh, marco illich they categorized every single thing you could possibly do in graphic design by who did it first and what year it came out and then who has derivative versions of it oh wow i gotta i gotta get my hands on that <laughs> so you were at ground zero on when the music changed from heavy metal are you talking about the 90s yeah i'm talking i'm talking about the 90s it's really funny modern dog we sort of became well known in the 90s but i never really thought we were that connected to the local music scene we just happened to be from seattle mm -hmm. um we've, we know of course we did some things but um, you know, I remember working with Soundgarden on their last album, um, which they ended up not using our work, but we worked with them for about, 
uh, a couple of months and um, it was a lot of, it was actually really sort of stressful just because of the process of trying to make, you know, four people happy. Um, I was uh, felt yeah. like unless it was my friend's band or people I knew, it wasn't really that much fun to work in the music industry. And I, I, when I tell people that, I remember I told this story at uh, some AIGA conference back in like the late nineties in New Orleans and people actually got mad. They thought like <laughs> I should be, they thought I should be like really like honored to have worked, you know, like with these like frustrating bands. And I always described it as kind of like being a camp counselor with like a bunch of dysfunctional 14 and 15 year olds. That's kind of what it felt like at times. Um, you know, but again, it's like whenever I was connected with somebody I knew or uh, my, you know, my best friend's a musician, my husband is a musician. Yeah. Um, whenever it was anybody I knew, it was a different kind of experience. But uh, a lot of times the, you know, the by the time we were kind of like brought in to like work with Soundgarden, they were, they were disbanding. They were, that was like mm. their last album. They were not getting along. Um, and so, you know, grunge kind of had its, like moment in time. Um, and it's just really interesting how uh, music right now and a lot of younger people are uh, still really uh, influenced by, you know, Nirvana. I mean, but the first time I heard Nirvana, I was in a driving my Volkswagen bug and I was with my best friend and the song came on and my friends just flipped out. She's like, this is the band I was telling you about, but I didn't really hear about them. Mm. I mean, I kind of heard, you know, I kind of, of course I heard of Soundgarden but Nirvana, a lot of people, you know, in the Seattle area didn't really know about them until they became big. Um, I know a few, a handful of people that actually went to some of their shows before they got big, but um, it all kind of happened very quickly. I mean, back then, this was before, you know, the internet didn't really take off in the 90s. It was kind of like a, this new novel thing. Nobody really understood the power of the internet. And so bands, you know, bands still had labels that and the labels were very involved in the music um and now a lot of bands just self-publish and they have a lot more freedom and they don't really make very much money if any money at all from selling um albums or you know downloading their out al their songs but they make it from touring and merch so yeah. there's been a, like a re-emphasis on posters and merch for bands over the last you know more than 10 years now um so that so that has really shifted in the music industry, and and in some ways it's kind of given um, bands that didn't weren't able to get a, a label or get signed, um, it's given them more power. So I kind of like it in some ways, but it's definitely hard to make a living. I mean, unless you're playing unless you're playing live and you're touring, it's very difficult for musicians. I was working on a project, and uh, I needed something to just get me out of corporate thinking. Uh -huh. And so I had your book and it just sort of pushed me to start doing some stuff that was really outside of my comfort zone. Oh, and cause I was a corporate designer for so many years and I could get really structured. Um, let, let me make the jump to food. But I remember that wasn't <laughs> your first book. Your first book was, uh, wasn't it a salmon cookbook? Oh my God, you know yeah. that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You are kind of, that's crazy that you could, yeah, you're right. It was, uh, it was not, we weren't the writers. We were, I was just the designer of that book. 
I haven't seen that book in a long time. Though. I was seeing all this crazy stuff you were doing. And um, I was trying to figure out where I fit in the world. And there, there's this dangerous thing I hear for designers that, that I kind of rally against is you have to have a style. And I'm like, no, I think artists, if you're thinking like an artist, you have uh, the style is kind of important because yeah. it helps people hire yeah. you. But when it comes to design, the designers who are really flexible, because uh, your cookbook, of course, does not look like any of the music posters. Being able to jump from that was, uh, I think, pretty important. Uh, uh, Odette Ezer was on recently. He was talking about he does normal work. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that made it into the final cut, but he was saying he does run a design firm and then he does all his uh, art stuff on the side. Well, you know, it's interesting. Well, there's a lot of work that... We like, I remember at times somebody would call up and say, what are you currently working on? I would tell them they go, you got anything else? They wanted like the cat butt. They wanted the weird shit because they couldn't call anyone else and get that. And so if I told them I was working on a salmon cookbook, they would just be like, huh, got anything else? I mean, so that work never really got out there. I was always really proud of, um, I always thought my job was to do a good job for my client. And I, I'm proud of certain aspects of that book. I mean, it's been so long. I don't know if I looked at it now, I probably would be horrified, but um, you know, there's <laughs> the type, the type was really good. I remember. Yeah. That. I mean, I worked really, that was when I really realized I knew nothing about type because see, I went to a school that didn't teach traditional like graphic design. Like we have now I went to, I almost yeah. have like more of a fine art education with like a couple of design classes thrown in, but it was not on the computer I really don't. I really didn't know anything about type for about ten or fifteen years until I started teaching, and then I realized, oh my god, I yeah. was never learned it. And so a lot of my type was really intuitive, and that was the project where I kept sending pages to Chronicle, and they were like, they were going, okay, um, you need to use the correct fractions, and I thought I would type out <laughs> one slash two, and I'm like, what are they talking about? And then I thought, okay, I'll make it, I'll make it like move it up and I'll make it smaller. And they go, no, no, no. They go, you got to go to the glyph palette or yeah. And I was like, what? Like there's a thing called glyphs. I had no idea. So anybody who went through school, I was, I did everything by hand. When I came out of school for three years, I was by hand. I refer to that in critiques when I have students do recipes. Yeah. I do the same thing. I refer that to critiques. So it's um, one. Or two teaspoons of salt. <laughs> That's one or two teaspoons of salt. No, it's a half teaspoon of salt. No, it's two teaspoons of salt. Just lay it in there. That's funny. <laughs> you got to find the glyphs menu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe. I've never been asked about that cookbook. I can't believe you even you remember that. Well, Did we actually show that? Did we show it? Um, we were talking about you being a foodie because I'm a foodie and... I love they came up with the term because in a professional kitchen would probably kill me. Mm-hmm. Kill me too. But exploring flavors and everything like that is just one of the most incredible hobbies ever. Yeah. And with the market today being so filled with just horrible illusions of food, <laughs> I, I think it's pretty important to be able to kind of cook really quick and, uh, work on your diet. That's I work out vigorously. I do orange theory and it's made a huge difference. Did you see this? Um, this, there was this great interview on, I think it was, uh, PBS 
I watch PBS News now because I can't stand anything anything other than that. I agree with that. They don't have the hype. And um, there were. Did you see the profile that they did on the the dancer? Twyla Tharp. Twyla Tharp. Yeah. So Twyla Tharp. You know, she's basically pushing eighty, and she said, "Thing." And she's still active. She still dances. She still teaches. And she just said, "You know, we have to be moving." We've got to get up and just move. You know, she doesn't move like an, an old person. She's not, she never stopped moving. And so I think that that's a really, I thought, I think that's really great advice. Like just keep moving. Dick Van Dyke's doing that too. I saw him do an infomercial for uh, really? Tai Chi. And he says, oh, really? that's how he's still going. That's how he still knows how to dance. Yeah. yeah. And you just yeah. got to, yeah, get off, get off the chair. I mean, we are in front of computers and it's just too easy to not move. Yeah. So I love her attitude. I'm taking care of my 89-year-old mother. She brags to all her friends that I know how to cook <laughs> very well, and she won't eat my food. Wow. <laughs> so, she won't eat it. Yeah, she she will eat the same thing yeah. over and over, although her entire diet is mostly ice cream right now. Oh, my God. I know another I know another 80-year-old <laughs> woman. My my uh, Another good friend of mine was telling me that her mom pretty much only eats ice cream. Yeah. I love that. You know, if you're in your 80s, you eat whatever you want, right? I think it's kind of cute because she has these really tiny portions of just regular food. She'll eat the same two or three things yeah. over and over, and then she'll have this huge tub of ice cream. And she's like, <laughs> I'm out. We have to go to the store. I was like, ah. No, I love that. I love that. But yeah, that may, that, you know, just going to Orange Theory, I don't mean to be doing like an Orange Theory um, commercial or anything, but it changed me. Um, I just feel different. Like I was having trouble with plantar fasciitis. Mm -hmm. I was just tired all the time. I didn't think I had energy. And now it's like my diet is still basically the same. I still love to drink wine. I, you know, I haven't been able to stop, you know, drinking two glasses of wine every night. Like yeah. I do that. That's my crutch. But, um, it's, and then I still love ice cream. You know, I still eat bad food. Yeah. Um, but I feel a hundred percent better. I, I feel different in my clothes and it's because of these hardcore I and I'm usually the oldest person in the in the group, right? Yeah. But I don't give a yeah. shit anymore when you get older. You sort of don't care. I don't yeah. care what I look like. Yeah. Right? I still I didn't even think I could run and I'm running now. And I'm sure I've got terrible form. I'm sure there's probably some people going, Oh my God, that lady <laughs> But I kinda don't care. I I think that's a liberating thing it's all a construct i mean one of the things i try with my students is to get them to that point it's like let me ask you this if i knew what i knew today 20 or 30 years ago wouldn't have that been incredible yeah too bad huh yeah because <laughs> i'm finding i'm taking so many ridiculous risks today that i should have taken when i was in my 20s i fell in love with this book oh i love jamie oliver is that a vegetarian uh, Yeah, and it's not it's not Rich. available in the U.S. yet, but um, oh. I've gotten sick a few times eating meat, and I love meat, but uh, I'm moving away from it. I'm, I'm finding I feel a hell of a lot better uh, eating um, the vegetable stuff. We're so good with artificial flavors, vegetable burgers are showing up everywhere. It's like, I know we've had this technology for years. Well, it's good because we just can't keep growing uh, the way that we are and the, you know, the way we're treating the planet. Yeah. We just can't keep consuming the amount of meat. So I think everybody should be moving to more. I mean, we, I will never be 100% vegetarian, but I definitely make an effort to try to eat 
less meat. What Jamie Oliver did, I think is rather brilliant. He came up with almost every flavor you could think of that is not from Mm. meat. And he's put them into recipes. He researched India. He researched all these cultures. And I'm big on mixing flavors from different cultures. Mm -hmm. And I found every recipe in the book so far is delicious. I was like, look, there's no meat in it. Wow. Cool. The weirdest thing we had going was when we ran out of money, we didn't have easy access to a kitchen where we were living. We were renting a bedroom. Mm -hmm. And if we go into the kitchen, it was just impossible to cook in there. So we ended up with a hot plate in our bathroom. And that that was kind of fun because we're doing a lot of cooking in rice cookers and stuff. And it kind of forced me to come up with dishes that worked in that environment. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching uh, Queer Guys in in, uh, Japan. Mm -hmm. And every single person that's profiled in the Japan series has the tiniest kitchen. (laughs) Like, I'm looking at it going, oh, my God. Like, I complain about my small kitchen. Yeah. They're clean. They're like cooking in a closet. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. Like, the smallest amount of, of uh, table space. Like, I'm like, how do they do it? So it's really inspiring when you realize you don't need no. a, lot, a fancy kitchen. You don't need all the gear. You just really need the basics. It was driving me crazy, but in reality, I came up with some really interesting dishes that I've been able to work from. I got really good with seasonings, and I got a whole of Penzi spices. Anthony Bourdain actually inspired me to eat anything worldwide. Yeah. Because I remember seeing him on Conan O'Brien's show the first time, and then I got his book, and then next thing you know, he is on CNN. Yeah. Well, I read his book, Kitchen Confidential, when it came out, and um, I I always liked him. I mean, I didn't realize, I guess, you never kind of like try yeah. to put yourself in their place, but I didn't realize, who would who would have thought that he suffered from depression or he, yeah. you know, took his own life? Um, he just was like, kind of like the last person I thought would ever do that. He was just a cool guy. I mean, I think he was really inspiring to a lot of people, especially when you realized, you know, like he fought drug addiction. I mean, he really kind of uh, defined the whole uh, genre of like traveling and being experimental. I mean, I really like Simon. uh, What's her name? I like her. She's kind of now, she does something similar to what Bourdain does. I even went and saw her lecture and I've got her book and I still can't pronounce her name, but she's, she, is like Bourdain in that she's just very curious yeah. about other cultures. And so I love her show. Her show was on, I think, Netflix. And she just goes, you know, to Italy, and then she'll just meet uh, a family, and maybe the, the somebody's a chef in the family, and then she just learns their way. And she's truly, truly, I think, intrigued by it, and in a way that Simon, Bourdain was. Simon Nosrat? That's right. That's right. Yeah, Nosrat. Yeah. And then her book is Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Um, I got a book years ago. Actually, the design reminded me a little bit of your salmon book, um, Hot, Sour, Salty, Sweet. It was a coffee table book. And I got really healthy just cooking out of that. But that's uh, getting a balance between ingredients just like this is, uh, I found that once you could do that, your food comes out really good. And you could cook almost anything. Yeah, Yeah, her philosophy, she's, somebody asked her, so I went and saw her lecture and somebody in the audience asked her, like, what three things are always in your refrigerator? Or what what things or five things? If I opened up your refrigerator, what would be there? And one of the things that she said was lemons. And I th- and like right now, I don't have a lemon, but I've got two limes. Yeah. <laughs> so like that point, like you have to have some sort of like, that's the acid part. 
Um, you know, butter, I think was another one. Yeah. So she, she was listing off these things and it's true. It's like, if yeah. you have, you have to have like that sort of, you've got to have the salt, you've got to have the acid part the, the and she loves spicy food. That's the heat part and fat, mm -hmm. you know, like people have to be, I think at this point we are, we're all aware that the whole low fat craze was kind of a, you know, a horrible thing that happened to people because um, you're just eating chemicals. If you're eating Ben and Jerry's low fat ice cream, you're eating a bunch of chemicals. You're not, and you yeah. need, you need the fat to yeah. actually stabilize your insulin levels. That's like, that's a very common thing. Like people that are diabetic will like try to eat low fat things and it actually makes their diabetes worse. So um, I think people are becoming more educated yeah. about food and like looking back at whole food as opposed to just, you know, like diet substitutes. I, I don't like, I mean, one of the things I like about Simon is that she doesn't make any excuses. She's not a particularly small person. She looks healthy, yeah. um, but she um, just doesn't make excuses. She's like, here's, I wouldn't eat any other way. And she eats uh, like she has things with butter in them. You know, she eats like whole, whole, you know, she'll use whole milk. She's not going to use low fat. So, and then I think once you understand that's like that our, our bodies aren't really meant to process all these chemicals. I've been looking into the history of this because it was about using chemicals to make things easier in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Better living through chemistry. Better things for better living. Another example of how chemistry improves our nature. When modern chemistry and modern industry join hands in serving our modern America. And artificial flavors are all smell-based and uh, it seems that every time they come up with a good product that's going to be totally natural, they find it, some yeah. artificial way to change it. I had an acupuncturist who said to me once, and mm -hmm. this became very important, he's like, eat seasonally. Just mm -hmm. eat seasonally, you will feel better. Well, you also get what's fresh, you know? Like, you're going to get the fresh food. It's like, I, I don't want the blueberries right now. They're out of season and they're sour. Exactly. And they're coming from the other side of the world. It's not good for the planet either. I started doing that and suddenly I feel better. And then just avoid having your body have to process chemicals from all these bizarre products that we put out in the US. We're, we're like the leader in fake food. <laughs> the leader in fake food. Well, yeah, we're having a yeah. lot of problems because of it too. I mean, that's, you know, childhood yeah. diabetes is like, we're, we're seeing the problems of not having healthy diet. I love that idea of just buying what's in you know season, cooking with what's in front of you, yeah. Radio Flom, commercial free since 1923. Bob's Big Boy makes gray hamburgers and lots of good things to eat. It's fun, it's friends, it's laughs, it's time to have yourself a treat. And the place to go is Bob's, you know, you can have lots of fun. Cause Bob's loves kids and kids love Bob, just ask anyone. You know, Bob's loves kids and kids love Bob, just ask anyone. You can grab a bite without going far, pack up the kids and crank up the car. Come as you like and come as you are to Jack in the Box. Hey Jack, the sun's gonna 
shine all day. It's time for a coat. It ain't no joke. The sun's gonna shine all day. Coca, cola, when the midday sun takes over. I want a laxative that's easy to take. I want a laxative that doesn't act in my stomach. I want a laxative that works in the digestive tract where the trouble is. Carter's pills are easy to take because they're so amazingly little. So little, they actually roll quite easily through a soda straw. So next time you need a laxative, take Carter's for temporary relief and get all three features. Formula unchanged for 80 years. Radio Flom, you are listening to Radio Flom. You have more amplitude modulation than you do. There's nothing in the world that can compare with a hamburger, juicy and rare. A hamburger lives for the pleasure it gives. It's a thrill on the bill of fare. Such heavenly food deserves the best. A home and contentment beneath my vest. There's nothing in the world that's so divine as a hamburger, tender and fine. I adore you, hamburger mine. Ooh! Ha! hamburgers again, huh? You know, I think there might be a little bit of shit right here in this meat. Just a little bit, microscopic. Your tests say that the meat we're getting from UMP is clean. It's not. I've seen independent tests that say that it's not. Richard Linklater, Eric Schlosser, Fast Food Nation, BBC Films, et al. 2006. There's always been a little shit in the meat. You've probably been eating it your whole life. Yeah. Well, I prefer not to, Harry. Well, I don't know who you've been talking to, Don. There's absolutely nothing illegal going on here. Okay? Meat is supposed to be cooked. And the grills at Mickey's are calibrated carefully to make sure it kills every little bit of the bad stuff that's in there yeah that might be kind of tough to explain to our customers explain what listen there is cow shit in our meat because we're running the line too fast just cook it that's all you need to do the one line that stands out for me from fast food nation was it's the perfect system to make sick as many people as possible eric schlosser fast food nation the dark side of the all-american meal Houghton Mifflin, publisher, 2001. And I think that may be what brings a lot of people over. It's like, do you want to eat tainted meat anymore? If you go to Walmart, look, you could get hamburger really cheap. Uh, You don't know what's in there. In fact, the whole big issue that they've been able to wash off is their shit in the food. Yeah. I think that's an issue. It's (laughs) a little bit. I don't want to worry. In fact, I did get E. coli at one point. Mm-hmm. It is horrible. Yeah. It, it's, I can think of uh, more pleasant things like, I don't know, cutting your fingers off than having <laughs> E. coli. I mean, it was just a horrible experience. And I was just like, no, I, I want to eat better. Once you've seen 
once you've seen the underbelly of the industry and really done a deep dive yeah. into footage, um, it is nothing that you can even imagine. And these are not isolated incidences. Uh, this is the way it is. I've watched hundreds, if not thousands of videos in my research and being involved in animal organizations and um, nutrition organizations and doing the research on all of this. It is just, um, it's, it, it's unhuman. And I, I think the meat industry as it is now is unsustainable and it will take itself down either from the inside out because we get some nasty virus and it's um, statistically we're, we're due for that. Um, or from the outside because people start learning and switching and just changing the market. Once again, Ruby Roth, author and illustrator of children's books. The Help Yourself Cookbook for Kids. V is for vegan. Vegan is love. And that's why we don't eat animals. My first three picture books for families raising vegan kids. Um, they were the first books of their kind in children's literature to address the emotional lives of animals, factory farming, the environment, endangered species, and all the tenets of veganism that lead people to choose that lifestyle. Uh, I think it's a very important issue for all kids of this new generation to understand because we're facing a world where the systems that we've set up uh, are dysfunctional and uh, we, we need new solutions. I was raised by two parents who happened to um, start a farm, an organic farm on Kauai. And this was in the early 80s. And they had, they put a really big value on caring for the land. My mom had studied Hawaiian culture and language and dance for, uh, it's now been 40 years ish. And so, um, I was raised to take care of the land and to do that without chemicals and, um, to understand the reasons why that we're connected and we have a responsibility to take care of the land that feeds us. And that probably led me to write my first children's books, which were about veganism, but really about how the choices we make affect all living beings and the environment. So I have a pretty strong stance about the environment and climate change and that there, it is the number one issue that we face today and that the most effective, immediate, far-reaching action that anyone can take is to adopt a plant-based diet. It affects every single major issue on the planet. And while I am pro-progress on the social justice front, um, there's not going to be clean air <laughs> or clean water. Um, and that's going to overshadow every other issue that's on the table. So I feel very strongly um, about um, continuing my work in the vegan space because I've seen a lot of change in the 16, 17 years that I've been in that demographic. 
And I think people are just starting to understand the motivations behind it, which are very great. And, um, and there's not as much stigma around veganism or eating plant-based that there was um, in the beginning. So I'm excited about that. Uh, there was there was one thing that um, caught my eye. It's called a toast sandwich. Have you ever heard of that? A toast sandwich? A toast sandwich. It was a comment made by a British politician. And it was made like in 1890, but it was for everyone who was poor. And he said, well, if you're poor, you should just eat a toast sandwich. And... I looked this up, and of course, there's a wiki page on it everywhere. And what it is, is you take a piece of bread, you put it in the toaster, uh, you toast one slice of bread, you pull it out, you put it between two slices of regular bread, you add uh, butter and salt, and then you eat it. And the interesting thing is it tastes just like a processed chicken sandwich in the United States. Huh. There's no difference. The only difference between that and a chicken sandwich is a chicken had to die. I, I looked at that and I've been talking to a chef about that. And she's like, I'm going to put that in my class <laughs> because you, you eliminate the chicken and you, that's how I'm surprised we haven't come up with better fake meat over the years because we have the technology to make bread taste like a sandwich. Uh, that's how we do things. We add these flavors to stuff and that's what the impossible burger is. It tastes like, um, another soy burger. Yeah. It's highly processed. Um, I'm glad something exists for people who want to transition and need that. Uh, I personally don't really eat that stuff or <laughs> soy products in general. Um, yeah. I feel the best when I'm eating um, whole food, plant-based, very simple ingredients. Uh, the less fried food I eat, the better I feel. The more raw food I eat, the better I feel. And the less food I eat, the better I feel. handful of spinach is very filling. Yeah. And most people have never eaten, you know, a whole cucumber just, just for a snack. Um, so, uh, you know, and it, and it takes some getting used to when you're eating lighter because you were used to this very heavy, almost sedated feeling of something sitting in your stomach. Um, but when I first transitioned, I was sleeping much less. I had so much energy. I felt like I was taking off a heavy jacket and starting to run. And I did that as a health experiment just for a few months and uh, never went back. What I love about what Jamie Oliver's doing right now is he's like, okay, I'm looking at different cultures to see how they work with flavor without adding meat. Yeah, well, I mean, most meat is flavored with vegetables, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the lo the logic there is um, flavor comes from vegetables, and hardly anyone eats meat just plain and simple by itself. How wonderful that at this very moment, every person, big and small, has the power to create a better world. We don't have to wait to grow older, for laws to change, or for presidents to be elected. We can begin right now. I wrote Vegan is Love, Having Heart and Taking Action for a Brave New Generation. If we want to move towards an era of solutions, where the planet is healing, people are fed and healthy, there's good in the way we do business, and a reverence for the well-being of all living things, 
then all we have to do is live that life ourselves. Vegan is love is about putting our love into action. It's about how far across the world we can send our love through the choices we make every day. From the food we eat, to the clothing we wear, to the dollars we spend, and the entertainment we choose. By making vegan choices, we can reach every major industry and every corner of the earth. This is a kid's book of simple ideas, but at its core, it's really about democracy, supply and demand, and engaging ourselves in the public realm. It's so easy, even adults can understand it. We already have everything we need to change the way we eat, to change the way we live, and to change the way we treat all living beings. All we need to do now is teach our children well, and the more we can trust that they can handle this information, then the better equipped they'll be to love deeply, think critically, and act responsibly. Our choices are powerful. Vegan is love. For more of Ruby Roth and her work, with a special running right now on her three book, Young Activist Gift Pack, visit rubyroth.co. Almond meal. Almond meal is made from unbleached ground almonds. Almond meal tends to have a consistency and texture more similar to cornmeal rather than flour. Beetroot powder. Beetroot powder is used for flavoring but is also used for coloring in many different types of dishes. It is also used in sauces or juices as a type of sweetener. Bell peppers. Bell peppers tend to have a very sweet and crisp taste that can be used in many different dishes varying from salads to pizzas. When cooked, bell peppers become soft and release their sweet flavor into the dish. Caraway seed. Caraway seed has a very pungent dill smell and often has a biting, warm, and or sweet flavor that is often reminiscent of anise. Caraway seed is used in many dishes like cabbage soup, sauerbraten, sauerkraut, sausages, and other kinds of meat like goose, duck, and pork. Cardamom. Cardamom has a buoyant, lemony flavor, and its smell can be described as gentle, sharp, yet fruity. Cubib berry. Cuba berry is often described as a sort of come-together between black pepper and allspice with a little bit of spiciness. Many times it's actually used as a substitute for black pepper. Cumin. Cumin has a bit of a lemon aroma along with a spicy and earthy flavor. It is often used in rice, vegetable, or curry dishes. Glengal root powder. Glengal root powder is sort of similar to ginger, however it has more of a menthol and piney flavor than its more well-known cousin. It's mainly used in Southeast Asian cuisine and is used well in many soups, curries, and or stews. Garlic. Garlic is a spice used all around the world and adds a rich, savory texture to just about any dish you put it in.
horseradish powder. Horseradish powder has a very tangy-ish flavor that is often used in many seafood cuisines. After carefully disinfecting the scoop, an eye is removed from each tuber so that an accurate record can be kept. Bless you, Bertram. Your, bless your little heart. Thanks. The doctor said it was a problem when I was born that my heart was too small. But I proved him wrong to live to the age of 28. You're, you're 37. No, happy birthday to me. I think I need to I need to give up this business. No, you're doing a good thing. Shutter these doves. I have an idea. Set forth these doves that I've kept in a cage. The, the doves don't really make sense in a flower shop. I mean, I thought everybody loves doves with flowers, but now it's vegetables, and that's. I've made a sign. You want to see the sign? All right. Show it me might change your, your business around a little. All right, Bertrand. Show me the sign. It says. Buy vegetables here. Our limited edition Flom pinup calendar is now available in the Flom limited edition store with actual dates that match up with the days of next year. How about that? Featuring Lexi Nicole, photography by Cliff Buttermilk George, and photo montage by Steve Mahalo. Arrives in a genuine envelope allegedly imported from Manila, the world's largest exporter of envelopes and file folders. Can you guys please keep it quiet? I'm doing a voice recording. Please? Please? Order yours at flom.us slash flommers or flom.us slash commerce. Limited edition calendar, limited edition gift, get one or even more. Flammers calendar for next year. Two tucks and thumbs not included. I've tried to change my mother's diet and she grew up during the Great Depression. She actually enjoyed the veggie thing I made the other night. Wow. So that was a huge step. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great to hear. My parents just went plant-based. I would have never even put money on it. I was like, they're never, ever, 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 ever going to consider it. And my mom and I had just, my mom and I have a really tight relationship and we get along really well. She's probably my best friend. And we had just gotten in a fight the night before mm -hmm. I took her to see Game Changers. We got in a fight about veganism because I, I grew up, she raised me Christian and they are still very strong in their faith and they go to church every Sunday and mm -hmm. volunteer all the time. And so, you know, biblically, it's not a problem to eat meat. And I'm, I always, I always bring up the Bible and why we shouldn't eat meat. And, and we argued about that. And the next day I took, I took them to see Game Changers in the theater. Have you seen it yet? Mm -mm. It's on Netflix now. It's really, really, really good documentary. One and only Arnold Schwarzenegger. I ate a lot of meat. They showed us commercials. Steak. That's what a man eats. Selling that idea that real man eat meat. Serious man food. But you got to understand that's marketing. That's not based on reality. Um, so yeah, they watched that movie and they were like, wow, well, when you put it in that, that sense, because it's all about health, 
The movie has no graphic slaughtering or torture of animals. It's just health. And what my parents were just like, well, when you put it that way, we'll do it. Someone asked me, how could you get as strong as an ox without eating any meat? And my answer was, have you ever seen an ox eating meat? Once again, Anastasia Bones. I haven't eaten red meat since I was, I think like 10 or 11, maybe 12. For a lot of years, for, for over 10 years, I haven't eaten red meat. So like the Impossible Burger, my boyfriend loves it because he loves, he's from Argentina. So he like loves steak. It's really hard for him to cut out red meat. That was like the number one thing that was like really, really hard for him. So he likes the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Burger because they do mimic the flavor and the texture of a real burger. Although obviously he says that it's, it doesn't taste the same to me. I like the Beyond Burger. I think it tastes good. The Impossible Burger, I don't, I don't really care for it. It's not really anything special to me. I'd, I'd rather just eat French fries. <laughs> if you do it right, you could have a roast cauliflower dinner that no one will notice that the meat is missing. Exactly. Oh, funny thing. My brother is completely blind. He uh, he's not vegan. He I think he's I think he's paleo right now. And he did a taste test with the Impossible Burger and a regular whatever the Whopper. And he couldn't tell the difference. He said that there's like a slight taste difference, um, but he, he couldn't tell which one was which. They they both have this artificial flavor thing going yeah. on, which are just chemical smells, if you think about yeah. it. I finally had the one from uh, Carl's Jr. Yeah, and that was a bit better, but they all they all taste artificial to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that once you start tasting food where you have real flavor there and it's not a chemical additive, you can't go back. Right. So you've got on some um, trips to farms, I've seen. There's a sanctuary near me where they rescue animals. So mm -hmm. I actually had the opportunity to rescue two pigs from Oviedo, which is Orlando. And I, I drove all the way up. So it's about, about four hours from my house, four hours north, four hours back. Aguacate Sanctuary of Love. And they, uh, they give homes to I don't know how many pigs now. They have so many pigs and chickens and rabbits and all sorts of animals. And they just, you know, they just love them and let them live out their, their lives naturally. You've also been to a vigil. Yes. In LA, uh, one was for the pigs. So they bring in um, trucks all day long. Uh, it's called Farmer John's Slaughterhouse. It's Everybody knows it. If you're vegan, you've heard of it. It's uh, they, they slaughter between seven and 10,000 pigs a day. And the pigs are all six months old, so they're just babies. And some of them will spend uh, multiple days in the truck to be transported to the slaughterhouse. The activists in LA go there every week and they give water and a little bit of compassion to these animals before they are brought to the end of their life, which um, they don't get to feel any sort of love and compassion their whole life. So, Or they go out there and show a little bit of compassion and give them some water and it's really tough. I went and I just bawled the whole time. I watched dozens of videos of it. I cried the first few times, but I was like, oh, like I'm already like immune to it. Like I'll go and it's going to be tough, but I'll be fine. Nope. The pig showed up and I just started bawling. I was bawling the whole night. It was so sad. Well, one thing I've, I've learned about the animals is their personalities pretty much are what's being killed too. Like these living creatures would make a great pet. Uh, even the large ones. I mean, if you've ever met horses, they're like giant dogs. Yeah. 
Cows are too. It's crazy. It's really crazy. The seedlings are grown in the greenhouses during the winter. Two or three plantings of these eyes may be made during the whole of the winter period, situated at several points across the country. How about, if I may add an accoutrement to this, can we put flowering vegetables? Of course we can. I own the store. You're right, and I'm just a employee that you snuck from a van, put him in a shop, and told him to work here, and I sleep in a cot in the back. Now, first off, it was a public transportation bus, and I'm sorry that public transportation is not what it used to be. It's not. Second, you live here rent-free, because you said you had nowhere else to go, so I gave you, I, I, I got rid of one of my giant freezers and turned it into a studio. I love sleeping upside down in a refrigerator. You don't even have to. There is a queen-size bed in there for you. The best music, we play it all for you. We just can't stop playing Nikki's sounds. Fuck 
just PSA FYI so you know, things like glass bottle shards and loose bricks aren't very healthy or ideal stimming options. No matter how many times angry Los Angelians throw them at you for free, it's probably best to stick to silicone products because places online like stimtastic.co have some affordable enough options. Please don't do this to yourselves, fellow aggressive chewers. Nevada Museum of Art Reno Evie Rama Work Opens Thursday, November 21st, 2019 actually the first time this artist will exhibit in the United States and it's at the Nevada Museum of Art. His name is Edie Rama. He is the prime minister of Albania and he is also an artist. Look him up. He has a really extraordinary TED talk uh, that has been seen um, at least half a million times, if not more, about using art to transform spaces. Um, and it's because of this passion that he was first voted mayor of the town in Albania that he's from. I can't remember the name of that right now, but um, he talks about, again, transforming spaces through art and how that works into civic life and how it, it, it beautify, how like basically beautifying your built environment changes the way that you participate as a citizen and as a human. Um, and now he's used that to elevate himself to the entire country of Albania. And he's now serving a second term but he's also an artist and he um, he will be doing an exhibition at the museum, which is really cool. A lot of it is, he calls it work because he makes a lot of his art while he's in meetings and in doing other things in the service of being the prime minister. So um, I, you know, I think that- <laughs> Uh, I used to get, I, I used to really piss people off in meetings when yeah. they realized I was drawing yeah. pictures of them. Yeah. Because uh, don't put right. an artist in a meeting. But I think it's so cool. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, like this kind of, oh. um, so that's going to be really cool. That opens. And actually, Edie Rama will be at the museum on November 21st to give a talk about his work. Um, unless something comes up and he is called to duty because he is the prime minister of Albania, but we'll know a, a day or two in advance if that, if he's not going to be able to make it, hopefully. Um, you never know when you have a, <laughs> when you have a head of state coming to the museum, anything could happen, but he is scheduled to give a talk on November 21st, which is very exciting. Where are you listening to Radio Flaw? In your favorite easy chair? Or... Hi, my name is Paul Ruhn, so we've got John in Greece, and uh, we're coming out of Sacramento, so uh, we've got quite a few places connecting. So, I've met John previously, about a year ago, in September, in Thessaloniki. We met through Instagram. Do you want to say a little bit about how we met John originally, now we started talking? Yeah, well, a year ago, as you said, and it was when you came to Thessaloniki to visit an exhibition for the Kostakis collection. The museum here re-engineered the, um, uh, the collection and they uh, put it on exhibition again. So you couldn't miss this. And the afternoon we met, it was fantastic afternoon. We had a, such an interesting conversation. Uh, to be honest, it was the first time <laughs> that it happened to me. Uh, and uh, that's how we started, Paul. It was a, a lucky day for me uh, because um, 
you offer me the inspiration to go on. As uh, until then, I was uh, going through uh, a digital period. I decided to go back again to real painting. So yeah, uh, that, that's quite fascinating because people could say actually we, we're in the twenty first century. Why pick up the paintbrush? Why pick up the paint paper? Maybe he was in the right place already. Maybe digital is what an artist should be doing today. You told me before previously about how the painting is mixed and made. So I think um, the people listening to this podcast could actually gain something from the process of how paints are made and mixed in the icon tradition and something that you still follow today in terms of your painting. So tell us a bit more. Um, yeah, first of all, I have to, to mention that... Uh one of my background is, is iconography. I've studied iconography for uh, a few years. Now, the real iconographer uses natural materials. For instance, the wood. It has to be linden, maybe, or that uh, this is the perfect quality for um, you know the, the the panel that they use. So, wood itself has its own smell. Um, the vinegar used to dilute the uh, egg yolk is also a special smell. And also the varnish that they use to, uh, to apply when the icon finishes is a natural resin that has its own perfect smell. Uh, likewise, when you paint uh, with oil, it's, it's the same thing, you know, or even with plastic colors as well. But that's not so attractive, like the traditional materials. So it's very interesting. When people will see that what you've painted, if they go to your Instagram account, John Nelson, one of the things that they will see will be like these ultra sort of modern, sort modernist sort of paintings in that tradition. Clearly, with bringing your own sort of viewpoint to that and, and uh, updating it, and for me, that's quite sort of fascinating. So the thing about your paintings is they look ultra-modern, they look really contemporary, but the materials that you're using to create them have obviously got a longer tradition. Tell us a little bit about how long that tradition goes back. Well, uh, this tradition goes back to maybe 2,000 years. You can say that uh, there have been periods, for instance, during the um, 9th century, uh, that was the period of iconomachy. They tried to fight uh, the art, and even stopped it for about 100 years. But then it revived and, and started over again. And it seemed that, um, you know, no one can stop art. I have learned a lot from iconography, and it's not only the materials. For me, iconography mainly taught me to be disciplined. You know, traditionally, when an iconographer prepares to paint, this preparation takes about two weeks or three weeks, and it uh, includes fasting or praying, you know, trying to focus on his art and what he's going to paint. Now, I can understand this. I'm not a religious person, but the artist in general has to be focused. He has to focus on his art. He has to have a clear mind when he paints. And a preparation is, uh, is necessary, I think, always. So they taught me how to be disciplined regarding my life, even my diet, and even how to, to 
to clean my mind. There are moments that uh, you have to paint a straight line, for instance. You have to do this freehand. Of course, you can use rulers, but I prefer not to. To have a steady hand, you have to know how to control your breath, for instance. Even to, to, to know the rhythm or <laughs> of your heart palms, uh, of, of your heart pulses. So you keep your hands straight, you keep your hands steady, and you make the lines straight. Um, that's what I mean, discipline. You have to control yourself. Yes, and I think it's fascinating, the idea of having this kind of discipline, you know, it's incredible what goes into your art, because there's a couple of components that, that I, I see in your art, you know, I, I see geometric um, abstraction, but on top of it, I also sort of see this sort of, um, the painting of, goes back to iconography, but also now I'm getting to understand a little bit more of, of the process of being a real dedicated painter. I noticed that you sort of said that you're not religious. So where do you take your inspiration from? You know, like religious people might sort of say it was a, a devotion to God. They might sort of say it comes from the soul. You know, those kinds of concepts. As a non-religious person, how do you get in that place, that zone, that flow? I'm going to use the word flow because... Your art is tremendously productive. So how do you get into that sort of rhythm flow of uh, where, where the religious person gets to without being religious? First, let's take abstraction. Let's start from that. We all start from being um, figurative. We like figuration as our first inspiration. But then I think that the big challenge is uh, abstraction. Because you are no more confined, you know, let's use this word, into clear objects. But you're free to use abstract ideas and to express abstract ideas, you know, in, in a piece of paper. That's the challenge. For example, now you're free to, to express energy or power or even political concepts, like, for instance, democracy. You can do this with uh, abstraction, abstract art. But once uh, abstract, you have to decide, and I, I, don't, I cannot think it otherwise, that there are rules you know, around us, that this, this universe is, is, is based on rules. It's not a chaos. And these rules, in, in my case, are geometric rules, for instance. There are lines, lines intersecting, curves, creating shapes and forms. And there are geometric rules. That's the background of this. That's what's religion for me. Even so, you still have to be focused. You really have to, to respect these rules. It's like a religion, really. But you have to do it. So if you see my Instagram posts, geometry is everywhere. There are no uh, conceptual uh, pictures. We call them psychological, all this sort of stuff. And also, a main point here, they ask me sometimes, how do I depict human beings through geometric abstraction? 
This is a, a good question. I tried to think about this. And uh, at some point I created a um, picture of a square and cycle. You can see this in some of my posts. Uh, connecting with a line with a crescent. This was, however, this was a symbol. And I don't want to slide, you know, to symbolism. Actually, this square was the material part of a man. The, uh, the circle that was trying to escape from, from this square was the spirit. And the crescent was the link to, let's say, heavenly rules. But as I told you, this was uh, a symbol. And I don't want to be symbolistic. The answer to this question was that in geometric abstraction you cannot depict humans. However, human spirit is there, present, because all this idea of geometry, of the geometric rules, are uh, human concepts. So, either the creator or the viewer are there in that picture. They are present without being present. So, at the end of the day, in, my, in the company I work for, I collect all these doodles, go back home, select one of them, and work on, on it. Put paint, put color, organize it better, and there you have the outcome <laughs> on Instagram late in the afternoon, something like that. One of the things that I really like the idea of, and it connects very much with what Malevich did, was that he sketched, he was sketching continuously, coming up with ideas. And you're doing the same in your own way, in your own sort of, sort of like day-to-day, everyday life routine. And from that, you're selecting something out of your, you said subconscious or unconscious, the, the best thing and then you refine it and then you add sort of color to it so for me that process for me feels like a very important process because if you sat down with a blank sheet of paper and then started painting on it the thing about once you started once you start painting it, it's a slow process so i like the idea of your fast organic subconscious or unconscious process of doodling and from that selecting sort of something. So there's something, there's something, whatever's happening to you in the day, these doodles, you know, or these sketches feel to me like um, intensely sort of um, authentic. And for me, I, I didn't know that part of your process until we sort of spoke tonight. So for me, it's really heartening to sort of see the, uh, what I'd call real creativity you know, in the moment, real creativity. For me, that's really important for geometric art or any form of abstract art. Yeah, that's, that's important. Don't sit down in front of a piece of paper and you say that, okay, now I will paint, now I will do something uh, abstractive. No, you don't say that. Start this way, I think that you, you just get the risk of uh, being repetitive, of repeating yourself all the time because you, you just recall older ideas I can't repeat myself, you know, I feel suffocated if I realize I'm repeating myself. But uh, as you said, yes, it's authentic. It's, it's surprising that when you do something subconsciously, when you, you do the doodle, uh, then you realize that it has a, a, a real standing, it has a geometric standing at the end. 
by its own, without having tried it. Likewise, I uh, choose the title for its work after it's finished, you know, except for a couple of times I uh, start with the idea. For instance, the last idea about uh, uh, the gravity, the couple, the last two posts, you know, this started uh, the other way. I wanted to find a way to express gravity, and I found this curve, you know, as gravity can curve lines and surfaces. So this is what you can see in this last post, in the two last posts. But it's, uh, it's a method that works. But that's your Instagram post of the 7th of September and the 8th of September. And they are quite a radical sort of change. And uh, I think if you... The one thing about your, your art, sometimes it looks very sort of simple at a first glance, but if you look at it again, there's always layer upon layer of interest. One of the things I also noticed that you've done recently is that you've started to title your abstract art. You, you know, you'd give it a sort of um, a title. Tell us, tell us your reasoning. Well, it's actually, as you noticed, um, in, in most of the latest posts, the title is a sort of haiku title. It's uh, like um, those Japanese poems that I like so much and always try to imitate. Tried, I suppose that um, I don't know <laughs> if I'm successful in this. I find this attractive to try and mix different types of, of art. It's painting and, and poetry at the same time and also in, in various languages. For instance, French. I like the French language. I, I find it quite um, musical, also to satisfy my French followers as well. But uh, the idea of mixing art is behind all this. You can find John Nelson on Instagram at j-o-h-n-n dot n-e-l-s-o-n-n. And Paul Ruhan is always Malivi Squared. Three mixers, the machine places, vibrates, and compacts the pavement without use of side horns. Laying an extremely smooth pavement between its movable forms, this machine is probably the crude forerunner of giant paving machines which one day will grade and place complete highways in a single operation as they travel across the land. The fact that our interstate road network is inadequate locally and obsolete nationally. The program involves the construction of 41,000 miles of expressway connecting every segment. Center and into the new capital hill. 
because I'm an artist and I'd like to make a new one because the old ones are <laughs> small <laughs> and old. I mean, you always have to do something. So there is like a giant highway center and I can make an entire perfect circle over Greenland and just throw the uh, just like outside of Europe and then all the way back and then I believe it goes to Egypt somewhere and connects somewhere and in that little corner on Africa and then you have a giant airfield and another one at the other side and you have underwater cities to connect you can travel from there will be some in India and such and you can travel about that's another Russia and so and one Australia and so and you can connect everything now the main actual total connection for underground and above ground trains is in Russia now all the circles connect just outside Europe but there is a main if you do want to travel you're going a little route and there the butchered by one company is yeah. absurd. Nobody does. There is no conspiracy, no. That you would all have one chicken on your lawn and one cow on your lawn makes all the sense. There's no question but what completion of this wonderful highway construction program will affect everyone. The modern controlled access highway system for safe, efficient transcontinental travel led to the passage of the Federal Aid Highway Act. The beneficial effects of this program are certain to be felt in every community in the entire United States. A new one, because you need new ones. Don't be very tragic. I'm a metaphysical creature. I need to lift things to higher ground. Even thought they will pull it down. I was looking for more recent actual indicators, after 2014, signs of collapse of the food supply. I see. Rotting meat spouting out of faucets. With taps for ketchup, mustard and smoke flavored barbecue. It all grows from a dead rainforest, I guess. Just adding an extra layer to my nightmare. But how does one answer the existential question that no one will remember us when we are extinct? Maybe some future species will learn of our existence and delve up bones and clone us and put us in a zoo like we would do with the dinosaurs. Partially because the alternatives are all crumbling, I guess. And then they will try again and again. Until the sun burns up. By now that there would be an issue with people taking too much power None. and then Nobody other people it. uprising everybody's just taking good turns mm -hmm. it's like the elimination of governments has made us even better people I just don't get it I don't get it 
I thought we would, uh, no. I never thought I would be Expectations? Able to I'm showing you what my expectations were. They're yeah. up here for a murder mayhem. Yeah, yeah, and, that's and real And now flight. we're down here. You're we're, literally on the ground. We're literally, I mean, like, it feels like all the bad people were taken, honestly. I know, it's really weird, right? Yeah, and nobody wants to get into any fights. Nobody mm -hmm. has any energy to do it. Yeah, because we're all working we're hard. We're all working hard, making fruits and vegetables from the ground. Uh, what'd they call that? Gardening. Agriculture. Farms. Farming. Farming. Yeah, farming. Huh. Ha ha ha. Why do you go ha ha ha? Oh, I've just never heard of it before. Anyways, Levios Mars. How have you never heard of farming before? I've never, just never. Oh, I've heard the word, you know, I never like, visualized what it was. You know, I, I imagine a tractor and a, and a man in the tractor talking like this. Oh, that's uh, a really good they, accent. You like my that's American a good accent. American accent. Thank you. And uh, let, me, <clears throat> let me see if I me see if find it. Let me see if find it. Oh, um, where does it go? Hello, mate. No, that's my Australian. That's just your accent. That's, that's just my just, accent. Well, you sounded normal to but, me. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I think I lost my American accent. I feel weird. Oh, weird. Anyways. That's okay. Oh, come oh back. should I try mine? Yeah, please. <clears throat> oh, it's very good. That's oh, very good. Oh, thanks. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Was that it? Pretty good. I mean, the coughing this is was my, good. This is my accent. This is my American accent. It sounds weird. Really? You're not. You don't sound like I'm from America. You sound like I'm not Canadian. Canadian. Yeah, not very American. You know, like I mean, like, Canada is part like, of North America. Hey y'all. Hey y'all. Oh, oh, that's a really good yeah, one. Yeah, you see where I'm going with. Yeah, I can't do that though. You gotta do. You got. If you're gonna do an American accent, you have to be from America. All right. Say something an American would say, especially um, during this time of day. Hey y'all, don't take my guns. I need to shoot my horses. See, it's very American. It, Monsters. <gasps> They're monsters. Are there any Americans in here? I don't know. Never asked. Oh, maybe that's how we make our drama. That's how we make our drama. We Quick, can finally have do a... an American call. Call it over. Oh, oh, I know. Um, oh, oh, what's that one thing that they like? Oh, Whoppers. Whoppers. Cheeseburgers. Oh, I know. It's like. Red dye red thir dye red forty is perfectly fine. Oh, say something about right, right. I'm gonna try something. Ready? Okay, you try something. Okay, here we go. Ready? Okay. Vaccines cause autism. Oh, that's a very that's American a good one. Thing. That's, that's a very really American. good. That's a really good American thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, it made me laugh. It's yeah, so ridiculous. That's a great one. That's a great one. Because <laughs> how can they cause anything? Anyways, it's fine. Um, um, yeah, that was mine. I don't see anybody turning around. Oh, wait. Yep. I know what. Go ahead. Ready for this? Yeah. Ready for I got, go ahead. Oh, boy. Sure do hate those boomers. Yeah. Oh, there's oh, one. There is one. one. I heard one. one in the distance. Okay. 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 I got. All I got right. something here ready. I'm gonna try it. Let's well, see if I can it. get. You try it. I'm gonna try to get an American. They're really, they're really ready. into that whole generational ready? thing. Ready? Here we go. No ready? one else in the rest of the world ever was. I say, healthcare for all, who want it. No, I don't think so. that's too much. I think that's too much. I think you, you gotta spin it like. You oh, gotta say like. You try. Okay. All right. 
Obamacare was a sham. Fight me. Let's see. Let's see if that can come yeah. Oh, yeah. You got oh, that. Oh, Here he no, comes. He's running. Oh, he's, he's running angry. over. Oh, it's a liberal one. <laughs> ah. liberal. He's got punches. Punches for days. Radio Flaw. Because we're about modern things. That's the more fish, can Fish. Fish. All we ever get around here is fish. Well, I'm sick of it. I want fresh vegetables. Corn, peas, beans, lettuce, spinach. I'm through. We're going to complain to Stanley about this now. So we all know that we should be eating healthier. We should be eating more balanced diets of eating like fruits and vegetables, carbs and meats if you choose to eat meat. But we all know that. But I think something that we don't think about when it comes to dieting is that sometimes that requires funds and that comes from a place of privilege. Sometimes even going to the store, going to the supermarket is a privilege and isn't possible for people that live in urban areas that are food deserts where all that's available to them is fast food or corner stores. The thing that's kind of fucked up is that a lot of times... um, legislation gets around food deserts by having places like convenience stores that might sell maybe one or two apples or a banana and that counts as fresh fruit but in reality who's eating that who's going to the convenience store to buy that one apple or the one banana and a lot of times it's really easy when we see articles that say like oh what we should be doing to you know save money or to be healthy it's like we'll cook at home well if someone's working you know, graveyard shifts or working multiple jobs. They might not have the energy to cook. They might not be able to afford going to the store to get all the things to make a meal. And if they're just tired, sometimes it's just easier to make that cup of noodle or to go through the drive-through at McDonald's. And I think sometimes we forget that at the end of the day, food is food, food is energy. And no matter what we're eating, there's intrinsic value in it, whether it's some fried chicken from KFC or it's a Cobb salad or if you're eating something, all food has value. So we need to not put so much pressure on what people are eating necessarily and concentrate more on the effect that people are eating and maybe look more into providing healthier food alternatives for people that live in places where they can't go to the supermarket and don't have access to food. So just something to think about when you get judgy about that person who's been eating nothing but McDonald's or nothing but cup of noodle, like step back a minute and try and think about maybe what that person's going through. Maybe it's a depression meal. Maybe that's all that they can afford. So we all got to eat. We all got to live and doesn't matter what we're eating as long as we're eating. Note, Radio Flom will be off next week because we just don't care. That's right. None of us care anymore and we're fed up. So we're going away, but we'll be back the following week for our season finale. Because they said we may get a reduction in time, but only if we have an exemplary shift in attitude. Remember to make the bed, and promise not to shank our roommate. Again. Also featured in this episode was Of This Earth's remix of the Flom theme, Fire, backing the Robin Ray interview.
Radio Flom is sponsored in part by the Federal Reserve Board, aka the Fed. Interested? You should be, with rates that make you go. Are you kidding me? There are loan sharks still finishing up prison terms for rates far less than that. Carter's little liver pills. Doing the work of Calamel so you don't have to. Fixafile.com. Great printing, low prices, order something already. Diego Valley at twitter.com slash Diego Valley underscore LTHM and soundcloud.com slash Diego Valley Music. Seventh Swami at seventhswami.com. And are you fed up with interview recording issues when making your own podcast? Use squadcast.fm. Remote interviews for professional podcasters. Squadcast.fm. If Richard Nixon used them he'd probably still be in office. Okay, well, last week I learned that this is definitely not something I should let a machine do it. So... Chad messed it up. Uh, Cliff still... Still no Cliff. Uh, ooh. What am I gonna do? I'm like right there. Just one more episode after this one for this season. I mean, well... I don't see why you have not asked me to do it yet. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Eat your heart out. Do it. I'm tired. Danke. From Sacramento, the heart of California and around the world. This has been Radio Flum. Featuring a cast of dozens. Appearing on tonight's episode, in order, were... Vicky Brown. Milk Surface. Jeu de Pré. Kevin Scott Brown. Performing AS dans GUS. Limbé Brain. Kelsey Kuknik. Steve Mehalo. Wimpy. Popeye et Bluto. Elena et Isaac. Nicole Larue. Seven Seswami. The Banda is Cream. Hunter Farnebach. Of the Source. Robin Ray. Barry Manilo. Bruce Willis. Ruby Roth, Chad André, Nikki Sounds, Paul Rouen, Amanda Horn, Aliel Elé de LND, Christian Angorem, Ju. Also featured were Our Annoncé, Jason Spear, Audrey Daguette, Avon Lejanik. Radio Flum is produced by Steve Mehalo and Milk Surface as himself. Theme music by Chelsea Davies. Sound design and engineering by Steve Mehalo. Radio Flum is licensed under our Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. However, recordings of contributors or guests of Radio Flum are still protected under international copyright law. All episodes can be downloaded for your convenience. Radio Flum contains works featured for review, opinion critic and or artistic transformation and will contain adult content and nudity.
Flom is a for modern art movement, art history resource that promotes learning and education through new and alternative media. Flom is your online connection to art history, music and beyond through Instagram, Twitter and other social media. We are all Flomists. You can be too. Donations graciously accepted at patreon.com slash flomos. Or just by us our coffee at flom.scoffee. We are at flomos on most social media. Flom is sometimes explained, but usually not. Thank you for listening. And if you don't like this podcast, do something about it. I propose to toast to Don Vito Minestrone, the biggest syndicate leader in the country. Hey, you. I'm with the Syndicate Anti-Defamation League. Don't you know you're not supposed to use the word syndicate in this picture? Oh, sorry, uh... How about a toast to Don Vito Minestrone, the biggest racketeer miter in the country? That's better. Sometimes this is done by rubbing the leaves together. For this purpose, potatoes are obtained from all parts of the world. And they include many wild species from South American countries, the original home of the potato. I know where I'm wanted. Upside down like a band. Bertrand! Bertrand! <sighs> do, do you think you're a vampire? No, madam, I do not. Okay, good. Do but you... I'm waiting for one to bite me! Oh, boy. That's why I get rid of all the garlic. Kick it out. Yeah! Why Get out, garlic! Yeah. Why are you roundhouse kicking all the bulbs? You're scaring the doves! No, I'm sorry, I usually do this when you're sleeping and I'm here by myself. The doves are used to it, if anything. They've seen me naked. We know each other. What are you doing to my doves, Bertrand? Ain't nothing. That you... nature ain't done to them. Uh. You learned a lot about me today. I'm learning too much. I, I All you gotta do is put the goddamn sign in front of the store. And then you'll stop? No. Oh, but at least you'll have customers. <laughs>